0: How many of you have ever been on a cruise? Anybody, any cruisers in here? Been on a cruise? Been on a cruise? Yes, nice. I've been on one cruise in my life, and uh, some I know this is like somewhat debated. There's some people who are like all about it, uh, and others that are like uh, no thanks. Um, I think what is really cool about a, a cruise is there everyone on that basically on that on that ship about call it a boat, that very large ship, m- all their staff are there to take care of everything that you could need or want. You know, you want crab cakes for breakfast. I'm sure they can make it happen for you. Uh, if you want some, some strawberries dipped in chocolate, there's probably a nice fondue bar for you. Uh, if, you if you want to get to a hot tub, um, there is a place probably on the back of the boat somewhere for you. Or if you want, you know, if, you're, if your preference is, Uh, you you know, you want to see a good comedy show, uh, there's probably a comedian on board for you to be able to uh, go and to be entertained. Really, when you get there, uh, everything is about making you have an amazing experience. Uh, The idea of a cruise ship is pretty cool. Um, it was pretty neat for us. We went, I don't know, probably five, six years ago. Amanda and I was just the two of us, not our, our children on this one. And it was like one of our first trips after kind of getting through a little bit of the like kids at kids growing up a little bit. All right, we can get away for a a weekend or so. And we're like last minute planners with this kind of stuff. So we got like literally a website called, like, Last Minute Cruises or something like that, and, uh, and sure enough, it's like, here's this cruise that's not full yet, and we got, like, I don't know, it was like, two, I mean, it was super cheap, uh, I, and some of the experience might have been also cheap, but it was really, it was really good, and, but ultimately, though, those people there are there to, to entertain you, to make you have, it's like this huge buffet of options, you want to hit golf balls off the back of the, the deck or something, or play uh, miniature golf. We played miniature golf on the top deck, and it was so windy, like your balls doing curves and stuff from the wind off the uh, top deck. It was really incredible, but I think, here's what I think, is so many people um, treat church like a cruise ship. It's the idea that, listen, I, I come, and I ex- I, I'm coming, and I expect, you know, I love uh, music this way, so let me find a church that meets that need. Or I like, um, you know, if I, if I need a comedian for a pastor, we're going fi- to, there's probably one in town, we can try to find you a church that meets that need. Or, you know, you want uh, pews. Well, there's churches with pews, and then there's even some churches that have both, just in case you prefer a pew or you prefer chairs. And so it's easy for us to come to church, and many people do this with a consumer mindset, like a cruise ship. But what if church is meant to be more like a a battleship? Can you imagine showing up to think you're going to get on your cruise and you show up uh, prepared to to go on a cruise, find a hot tub, and you end up on a battleship? (laughs) You're a little bit out of place, right? You show up and you're walking around on this this battleship, but what does you notice as soon as you get on a battleship? Everyone is living for something beyond themselves. Everyone is on mission, they have been given orders, and so now all of them are dressed the same, all of them are functioning as a team, and they're functioning in a way to accomplish what? Whatever the mission they were given. They were given a mission, and so now we're doing that, whether we're supposed to be uh, at sea over in the Mediterranean, or we're supposed to be in the Pacific somewhere, and we're doing training, exercise, whatever, they're all working together to accomplish a mission. And they're living for that purpose, but I really believe a lot of people look at church as what does church offer me, not how can I serve the mission through the local church. And I want us over the next few weeks, especially as we're looking to to transition and launch at our new location at Second Year High School, for us to never waver from the mission. So if you have a Bible, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 28. Uh, This is the mission that Jesus has given to every follower of his. It's in Matthew chapter 28 starting in verse 16. Look what he says here in God's word. He says this, "Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed. He had directed them, and when they saw him, they worshiped him, and some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given" to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. this is God's word, and I want us to look, um, before we're going to go to the Lord in prayer, but I want us to be Thinking this morning, how can we join in on God's mission? So let me pray. Father, we love you. We thank you again for the gift uh, that your word is. Thank you for the time of, of worship this morning as we uh, have sung especially about your mercy and your grace and the, and the salvation that is brought through Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. As we anticipate, even as we were singing that last verse, uh, as we anticipate Uh, your soon and imminent return. Father, I pray that we are ready. Uh, You have given us a mission, and as we look at that this morning, help us to join you in what you're already doing. Uh, God, so give us a passion uh, for you and for your law and for your word, and that your word would motivate us to live on this mission and to join uh, with you on this. And so, Father, help us Again, as we look at your word this morning, and so go with us in our time together in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, and so we're in Matthew 28 again. Um, And so here, I want you to see that you see it right away, because I think this passage has probably been taught on one of the most um, in churches, I would say, because it's such an important um, topic, but it's not just a topic. As you see, it is a command. And I want you to see this. This is in your notes. If you're writing notes, you can put this down here, is Jesus commands us to go and be disciple makers. Jesus commands, and I I don't want to miss that. I think it's important for us to catch that that second word that I have in your notes. He commands it. This is not an option for a few people. This isn't for the ultra-Christian. This isn't for the special This isn't a call for like the people who say, you know what, I'll go wherever you want me to go, Lord. I will go to the far ends of the earth for you to declare your praises and declare your salvation to the lost on some foreign island. This is for every single follower of him. And it is a command. It is, I mean, listen to what he says, starting in verse 19. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Jesus has just declared it. He says, on my authority, all authority, in verse 18, has, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Why does he have this kind of authority? Why does he have the authority to say, go and make disciples? What gives him that authority? The whole book of Matthew is telling us who Jesus is, that he's the son of God. That he is come from heaven as the incarnate word of God. And as he comes into our world, he comes and he lives this perfect sinless life. And yet, what happens to him? We just were singing about it sinful man. Put him on a cross. They said, You know, no, you're not really God. You're not truly the Messiah. You're a hoax. You're just another phony. You're not really God. You're blaspheming, calling yourself God. Are you kidding me? You can't be God. And so, sure enough, in the secret of night, they go and he's betrayed by one of his own, Judas. And Judas betrays him with a kiss on his cheek, giving away to the Romans, this is Jesus. Now you can go and take him, and sure enough, they arrest him at night, and they take him, and through a a sham worth of uh, 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 judgment, they bring up some false witnesses who say certain things about him that weren't true, and Jesus didn't defend himself because there was a purpose, and sure enough, they, they have him crucified. They have him crucified on a cross and he takes the place. They said, Give us Barabbas and we'll, we'll give you Jesus. No, crucify him. Give us the actual criminal, set him free, and you take Jesus. And sure enough, Jesus dies on a cross. But the glory of this chapter, in chapter 28, in the context of it, is this is on the heels of, what, of the greatest event in human history. In all of history, the greatest event happened. Jesus was murdered. He was put on a cross. He was put in a tomb. And three days later, he rose again. Again, we sung about this earlier. And as Jesus rises from the dead, he has now conquered sin. He has defeated it. He has given it a final blow. He's defeated death. He's defeated the power of hell over mankind as well. And he's given us hope. And so here, because he is resurrected as to new life, and that we too can rise with Him. We were just singing about this. Because of this, Jesus has all authority in heaven, notice this, and on earth. There is no power greater than His, and so because He has this authority, He comes into His disciples, and He says, all authority has been given to me. Now here's what I want you to do. Go and make disciples. This authority has been given to him, and then he's saying, therefore, because I have this authority, go. Have you known this? Nothing instills more confidence than when someone in power gives you a mission. Like, it's one thing, like, if my kids tell me to do something, it's like, all right, I may do that, I may not. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how I'm feeling that day. Colson and my son in the back is like, yep, dad does that often. <laughs> right? Like, but if someone with authority... Someone who is your boss, someone who has power, tells you to do something, and you know that you're subjugated to them, you do it. I mean, for instance, as a kid, you know, it goes like this to a sibling. Well, mom said I could eat two donuts. We have this every Sunday. <laughs> this is a live <laughs> every Sunday almost. You know, well, mom said I could eat two donuts. You know, kids are really so audacious as to use this as on their other parents, too. They don't just use it on their siblings, like, hey, mom said I could have two, when the other sibling's like, no, you can't have two, you only should get one. I only ate one, and he's like, mom said I could have two. But also, they do this on their, on their parents, too, right? Well, mom, or dad said I could have two, and they tell that to mom, and mom's like, seriously, dad, why did you tell them you could have two? But then now, because we're on the same team, she has to agree with what I have said. So we're on the same team with our kids. But adults, we do this too. The boss authorized me to spend X amount of dollars. So let me show you the email. Look, I can. I'm I'm authorized to be able to do this. You know, we go to another country, for instance. What are we doing? We're showing them a passport and saying, hey, here's my passport. I have the authority. I have the power to be able to enter your country because the United States government is backing me so that I can enter your, co- uh, your country. Authority instills confidence. And as long as you are confident in that person's authority, uh, you, feel, you feel good. Um, I mean, I'm thinking just back into the uh, about a year ago. I mean, remember when Afghanistan, how it fell so fast. It was like, the, 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 we thought that this is gonna take a long time for this withdrawal from Afghanistan. And really, it was pretty pathetic. You know, a leader like that, their own leader, their president is like Sia, and he takes who knows how much money with him from the government, probably, and he leaves the gov- country. And what happens? Immediately, that country falls, and um, the Taliban take it right over, take it right back over. Why? Because there was a lacking of authority. And Jesus is saying, I have the authority because I defeated death, hell, and Satan. And there is no authority or enemy greater than I. And so here's the mission, guys. Here's the mission. Go make disciples. Go boldly and confidently. But here's the question. Okay, okay, well, great. I'm supposed to go. All right, tell me where. Tell me what. That's what we want to ask. We want to ask those kind of questions. Well, God, Where? Do you want me to go to Asia? Do you want me to go to Africa? Do you want me to go to Georgia? Do you want me to go back to North Carolina? Where do you want me to go, God? We, we're, we get hung up on that so often. Like, where, God? Where, where are you calling me? I'm trying to listen. I'm sitting quietly in my room, and all I can hear are my kids yelling, you know? And you're trying to listen. God, speak. Or maybe you're even reading your Bible, and you're like, God, give me give me a word today. Tell me what I'm supposed to do. Where am I supposed to go? We waste so much time asking the wrong questions. You need to be saying, all right, today, God, you told me to go, so I'm going. I'm going to the coffee shop today. You know what? I'm going to pay attention. I have to go to work today. I'm going to pay attention. I'm going, and I'm, I, I have my kids. I'm going to, they're going to wake up, and I'm going to be discipling my kids today. I'm going to be teaching them or taking them to school, and we're going to have a little car ride on the way to school. Jesus' command was about life He's saying, go and make disciples. And literally, in the, the Greek, the way that word would work is, as you go, make disciples. Along your path, whichever direction you're going, whichever way you go. And we get so hung up on where, what am I supposed to do? The what is in this passage. The where is everywhere. It says, to the nations. But here's the great thing. We live in Atlanta. The nations are right here in front of us as well. We're surrounded by all kinds of tribes, tongues, and languages. I mean, there are so many people who live in Gwinnett County. It is—I I mean, I've heard it this way—that It is like, like per capita or something like that. One of the most diverse counties in all of America is right here in Gwinnett County. Well, I guess not right here specifically, but where we're gonna be—we're <laughs> like on that border of Gwinnett. But in Gwinnett County, there's—I mean, there's literally, I mean, hundreds of different uh, people from all walks of life all different backgrounds, and here they are right in front of us. And we can get so laser-focused on self and our job and just getting our job done and, raising, and do, uh, raising our kids, and we can get so just focused, singularly focused, that we miss all the people that we're surrounded by. And Jesus' command, and it's, it's a command, don't miss that, he commands us to go. But what is he commanding us to go do? He's commanding us to, notice as it says here, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. We're to make disciples. Well, what does that mean? Like, you might hear that phrase a lot if you're kind of new to church and those kind of things. You're like, what does it even mean? We're talking about making disciples. What is a disciple? Well, a disciple is very simple. It's a follower. A disciple, especially, it was a more uh, common term, I would say, than we would use in an average Conversation. You don't talk, I'm pretty, I'm pretty often, I'm sure, at work, talk about disciples. Uh, you might have a, an intern or something, or you might have someone who's, who's learning and they're being mentored by you and those kind of things. We don't really use disciple that much, but in that culture, very commonly, there'd be a teacher... And this teacher, whether it's like Aristotle or Plato or all these different ones, or Jesus here, the Messiah, these, these, these people would come and people would become under them as their disciple. I'm, I'm following uh, Jesus. And so, for instance, John the Baptist had his own disciples and his disciples we're, we're listening to him teach and watch. And It wasn't like this was a bad thing. It was just that was the term that was used. You're a, a learner under someone. You're submitting to their authority, and you're going to listen to them, and they're going to teach you. They're going to show you. They're going to lead you by example. And Jesus here, he says that we're to go and make disciples of all nations. I mean, who? It's all people, all people. There's no, there's no like, well, this, per, this group or this people group. No, it's all people. But here's what we're to do as we go and make disciples of Jesus. Notice what he says. He says three things. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then he says this, um, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded to you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You see, we're to be going. This is the direct command. Go And as you're going about this life, you're making disciples. You're telling other people about Jesus. You're sharing His, the hope of the gospel. What we've been seeing in the book of Psalms as the Psalms so often end with this kind of phrase, O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love and plentiful redemption. We as God's followers are telling people about him. We share the hope of the gospel. We share them the good news. We tell other people, but that's not the end of it. That's just evangelism. Evangelism is very simple. I mean, I like how J.I. Packer said it. It's preaching. I mean, you're preaching, but it doesn't take a preacher. It doesn't take a pastor. who's not the only person who preaches. Preaching is declaring the good news of the gospel. You can do that with your kids. You can do that with friends. You can do that with loved ones. You can do that with a coworker. You can do that waiting in line with a barista at Starbucks. You can tell someone the good news of Jesus. And here he's saying, this is what we're to be doing. And then there's the next step. He says, baptizing them. Well, what is baptism? You know, in this way, we show people Christ. We show people Christ through our baptism and specifically by immersion, by being Immersed in water by being uh, you know, going up under or going under the water. And it's a picture, right? It's a, a very vivid picture of our identifying with Christ in his death and burial and resurrection to new life. And here, the call is to share the gospel. And when someone repents and believes in the gospel, we're to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But notice the next step along this discipleship mission. What are we to do? Did you see it? Teach them. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. We're to teach. To teach, though, the question is this: we have to know. We have to know the word of God. The Pharisees. If you remember in the, in the, in the Gospels, as you read this, this, this religious group of people, they were, they were like an authority figure too uh, in the in the time of Christ. And these Pharisees, these religious leaders, these Jewish religious leaders, uh, Jesus described them as blind guides. And how would you like to be guided by a blind person? Like, like here, let me show you the way. They don't know the way, they can't, they can't see. Right? And it's literally what Jesus was describing about the Pharisees. They're these blind guides. They're the blind leading the blind. And the person who's lost needs someone who knows the way, knows the path, can point them to Jesus. And here the call is to teach people. But listen, how are you to teach people? How are you to proclaim the good news? If you don't know the good news, if you don't know God's word, it says teach them to observe. What does that mean? To do James, we're, we're, uh, as I think some of the, the women have been reading through James, and then we just, some of the men just started reading the book of James. And in James 1.22, what does it say? Be doers of the word and not just hearers only. Deceiving yourselves. How many people are being deceived by just like, yeah, yeah that sounds good. Eric, I agree with you on Sunday. That's good. I, I see it in God's word. I see where you're coming from. And then we just go back to our life, and we just go back to just living how we want to live. We're not a doer. Here he's saying, we teach people to observe all that I have commanded you. Now again, how are you going to teach people all that he's commanded you if you don't know this book? And I'm not saying you should know every detail. I'm not saying that you're going to be able to know every detail. This is a big book, and there's a lot of words in it, and there's some confusing parts. I get it. But listen, as you're going through this life and as you're learning, guess what? You're able to teach others also and he says, listen, we're to go, we're to baptize, and we're to teach. And you might be saying, that sounds absolutely terrifying. It is sometimes, to be honest. Sometimes we don't want to have that conversation. We're nervous. We're worried what they'll think. Oftentimes, we're worried too much what people think. We're worried, are they going to accept me don't worry about those things. Jesus even said, don't worry about those things. The the, the reason they've rejected you, they're not really rejecting you, they're rejecting who? He says, they're rejecting me. Talking about Jesus. We're to teach. And our second point in our note is is this as well. So not only are we to go and uh, commands, that Jesus commands us to go and be disciple makers, but also Jesus modeled for us how to fulfill the mission. He modeled this for us. And Jesus lived on earth, like, he actually lived on earth. We get to watch. How would Jesus go about making disciples? What did he do? Maybe we should pay attention to him. Look at Mark. Turn in your Bible. So if you're in Matthew, so your, your, your Gospels go like this. So this is the beginning of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark. All right. So the second, second Gospel, and these are all referred to Gospels as Gospels. They're the good news of what Jesus has done his, as he lived. In in, in Mark chapter 1, Jesus comes on the scene. Jesus is just, as Mark's given us, a little bit more concise than Matthew's gospel does, but they're all somewhat similar from the different disciples' and different people's perspective. Mark would have been written from the perspective of Peter. And uh, in Mark, it says this, it says um, in verse, go down to verse 14. It says, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, and what did he do? He proclaimed the gospel of God, saying the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel, the good news, repent and believe in the gospel. What is this gospel? Well, he's the gospel, (laughs) like he himself, and he's going to invite people into relationship with him. But notice, skip down to verse 17. Or you can even read 16. He says, Passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net of the sea, for they were fishermen. Verse 17. And Jesus goes up to those people. And what does he say? He says, Follow me. And notice what he says next. And I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately, they left their nets and followed him. And then if you were to read your Gospels, what would you see? Jesus Eating food together, Jesus teaching them. He's opening up the scriptures to them. Uh, One of my favorite stories in the book of uh, Luke, it's resurrection stories. One of my favorites. I'm I'm sure I've already mentioned it before on a Sunday. But in in Luke, right after um, Jesus has resurrected, he's walking along the road to Emmaus. And along that road, there's two disciples, and they're completely dejected. They're walking away saddened because they're like, well, we had hoped. And they say that phrase, we had hoped. They had put all their hope in Jesus and now they thought that Jesus was dead and buried in a in a tomb. And they're walking away, leaving Israel sad, and Jesus appears, the resurrected Jesus, appears along the road, and he's walking alongside with them. And they don't recognize him yet. Somehow, I don't know why ultimately it tells us in scripture that he was kind of like, I guess he was veiling their eyes for a moment. And they're just walking. They're like, and they literally say something like this to Jesus. They're like, Are you the only person in Israel who doesn't know what happened? Because Jesus says, what things? they were concerning the things of the death, the crucifixion, I and mean, Jesus definitely knew what happened because it happened to him, and he's walking around this road, and their eyes are, are completely uh, missing who Jesus is, and they're walking around sad, and then you know what Jesus does? It tells us in that passage in Luke, I think it's in Luke 24, and it is in Luke, and, he, and it tells us in this way, that he opened up the scriptures to them and explained from like the Old Testament all the things concerning Himself. He took the scriptures and he explained to them who Jesus actually was himself. Listen, you want to know how to make disciples, follow Jesus' method, open up the scriptures. Show someone. I I can't tell you how many times I've had opportunities with people. And I get, I know you're like, well, Eric, you're a pastor. This is your job. This is what you do. Like, these are, of course, you know these things. You're supposed to know these things. This is every follower of Jesus should know their scriptures. I get, I should know them probably more. Um, But the point being is this, is God has given us his word and he's taught us who he is, what he's like. This reveals to, he is revealing himself to us through his word. And here, As I'm in the Word, guess what happens? I can follow Jesus, and so when I go and I have a conversation, I can share the hope of the gospel with someone. I can explain it to them. I can explain Scripture. He's modeling it perfectly for us. Go and tell people about Jesus, and when they do, tell them to join you in it. I mean, I get this opportunity all the time. It's like you talk to someone, you share the gospel with them and like, or maybe they're even a believer, but they're struggling and you're like, hey, let's, let's read scripture together. Let's meet once a week and let's look at it. Or hey, when you have time, let's, hey, will you wanna ride my car with me? We'll go around and we can talk about the gospel. We can talk about Jesus. Help someone understand the gospel, teach them, go alongside with them. Jesus modeled it for us. We can just look at the gospels and you'll see how to make Disciples. Jesus and notice the other thing about that is this: Jesus wasn't just so focused on the crowds. Yes, he would teach to the crowds, but who was he focused on? A few. Listen, I've heard it this way, and I think it's a local pastor in this area. Do for one what you wanted to, which you wish you could do for many. Like, listen, you might think, oh, I want to do a lot for a bunch of people. You know, there's all these things. There's the Great Commission. We want to reach this community with the gospel. But listen, it's great to have these grand visions, and I have them. It's like, I want to reach this community, and I have to personally say, yes, we want to reach the community, but who's the one that I can focus in today? Who's the person this week that God could put in my path that I could start a relationship with and helping show them the gospel and show them the path of a follower of Jesus? Do for one What you wish you could do for many. Jesus modeled that to us through his focus on the 12 and his discipleship efforts. But I'm concerned that many are so focused on just church type things and not on disciple making. Um, Dawson Trotman in Born to Reproduce uh, says this, strong, so buckle up. (laughs) He says this, he says, the curse of today is that we are too busy says, I'm not talking about being busy earning money to buy food. I'm talking about being busy doing Christian things. We have spiritual activity with little productivity. He goes on to say the gospel spread to the known world during the first century without radio, without television, or the printing press because the writings of the apostles produced men who were reproducing. But today, we have a lot of pew sitters. People think that if they are faithful in church attendance, put good-sized gifts into the offering plate and get people to come, they have done their part. If I were a minister of a church and had deacons or elders to to pass the plate and choir members to sing, I would say, thank God for your help. We need you. Praise the Lord for these extra things you do. But notice what he says. But he says this, but I would keep pressing home the, the big job. Be fruitful and multiply. All these other things are incidental to the supreme task of winning a man or woman to Jesus Christ and then helping him or her to go on. You see, here's the great news. The mission, ultimately though, isn't dependent on you. It's not not like the weight of the world's on your shoulders and man, how am I supposed to accomplish this kind of mission? How am I to go be fruitful and multiply? How am I to go forth and live on this type of mission? I'm seeing Jesus modeled it. I hear you're saying it's commanded, but how do I accomplish this? Here's our third point is this. God has given us everything we need to accomplish his mission. He has given us everything we need to accomplish his mission. Look back at it in Matthew 28. So just a couple pages before, if you're still in Mark. It says in Matthew 28, again, here's the commission. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. But here's this amazing promise. It began with His authority. All authority has been given, and heaven and on earth has been given to me. So I, I have all authority, but here's the confidence that you can have. That's great. You have authority, but like, it's great for a commander to tell you, hey, go go get him. Like, go charge the enemy. You know it's another is when you watch like Braveheart and you see the main person, the leader telling you to go is leading the charge. He's going in front of you or even with you. And here's the promise that the gospels tell us, and he says it right here. He says, teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. I'm giving you this mission. Go make disciples. But here's the promise. And behold, I am with you always. Wherever you go, you go to Indonesia, you go to some other state, you go up north, you go south, you go east or west. He says, if you're a follower of Jesus and you're on his mission, I promise my presence is always with you. I will be with you. We have His authority backing us, and we have His presence with us. That is such an amazing truth for us. That should instill a great confidence for us as we go. I want to quickly just give you a few things, but first I want you to see this. So we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I'm hoping you see your your New Testament. So right after John is the book of Acts, and I want you to turn there. Acts chapter 8. In Acts 8... And then we're almost, we're almost finished. Acts chapter 8. So that's after the Gospels, but written by Luke. Luke, who wrote the book of Luke, the Gospel about Jesus. It's kind of like the story continued. So Jesus is resurrected. Um, he's come back to life. But in chapter 1 of Acts, he is now telling the disciples that, hey, I'm giving you a mission. And he tells you to go and make disciples. And he says, start in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria into to the ends of the earth. But he tells them even in Acts 1-8. My spirit is going to be with you. All power, all authority is going to be uh, with you. And so they go. And so the gospel is transforming lives and people are getting saved and more and more things are happening. And then here, what we see in the the book of uh, Acts in chapter chapter 8, I'm not sure if I said 9 or 8, but it's chapter 8. In 8, verse 26, we get this just unique story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And it tells us, look, I want you to look at it really quickly. Verse 26, he says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. So first of all, I want you to hear that. The angel of the Lord tells Philip to rise and go to the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. He's in Samaria. We see that earlier in, the, in chapter 8. Philip is proclaiming the gospel in Samaria. And now he's been given word to go to, um, to another area, to this desert place, to the south, uh, of, uh, down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And sure enough, okay, what does he do? He goes. God gives him a word, he tells him to go, and sure enough, Philip goes. And so he rose and went, and there was along the path an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot. And notice this, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. For one, see how God is already going before you. When he sends you, he already has a mission. He already has a plan. And here's the cool thing. Even in this, this Ethiopian is in a chariot, and we don't know, how did he get this scroll? Like, how does this Ethiopian end up with a scroll of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah? Somehow he has it. Guess what? God was already working. And here this Ethiopian man is reading from this scroll, uh, and it tells us, he was reading the prophet Isaiah, verse 29, and the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. Think of it this way. What if you're sitting at Starbucks or you're sitting at a restaurant and you start feeling a conviction from the Spirit of God telling you to go and talk to someone? Can you, can I tell you this for a second? God is, if, if you're feeling that from the Lord, if you're feeling the conviction in your spirit to go and do something, do you think that God is already working before you even go? Why do we just, why do we, I say we, me too, why do we shy away from those opportunities? Why do we hold back? Why do we not go? God's already working, and what we see is he's working in this Ethiopian's life before Philip even comes to him. But sure enough, what happens? He says, He comes comes in, he joins him. Sure enough, the Spirit said, Go over and join this chariot. Verse 29, verse 30. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked. And here's the thing look at this question he asked him. Can you imagine this being asked to you? Do you understand what you are reading? You're asking this question. Hey, do you understand what you're reading? Simple question. Listen, here's, I think, one of the best tips in evangelism and just sharing the gospel with someone is just asking simple questions. Just ask questions. Let the Spirit work through the conversation. Let God work through the conversation. Who knows when you ask that question what that opens up? Man, you might just ask, How's your week? And all of a sudden, this wager just unloads on you. All the stuff that's been going on in their life. Who knows? But you just ask questions, and sure enough, Philip goes. God didn't say, Tell Philip what to say. God didn't, t- we don't have anything in here telling us. Philip was just following the mission. Okay, I'm supposed to go to Gaza. Sure enough, I go. And sure enough, he tells me, there's this guy. Join him in his chariot. Okay, I'm gonna go get in this guy's chariot. Sure enough, he lets him in the chariot. He sees, oh, man, look at you. You're reading, you're reading from the prophet Isaiah. And then he's like, all right, first question. Do you know, you understand what you're reading? And then notice what, what he says back to him. And he said, how can I, unless someone guides me? I want that phrase right there to stick in your heart. There is a load of people all around us who even if they opened up a Bible would go like, huh, you have been given a gift. Some of you have known the Lord for most of your whole life. Others of you, maybe it's a little bit newer, or others of you have maybe gone and, and got educated in some of these things. You've taken Bible classes. You, maybe you've read your Bible for a long time. You should have some answers to these kind of questions. But here's the question. He's like, how can I, unless someone guides me? That day, this Ethiopian needed someone to explain to him what this passage meant. I, listen, I heard this rec- very recently of of a guy who was in, um, he was an intern, and he was in a coffee shop. Uh, He's a church planter wanting to plant in uh, Denver, and he was sitting in this coffee shop, and he's just sitting there, and all of a sudden, this random guy comes and sits at his small little table, and he's like, he's like, hey there. (laughs) It's a little bit awkward at first, because it's like, all right, why are you here? And he's just sitting there, and he saw he was, he had his Bible open, and he's like, he started asking him, the, the other guy started asking him questions, and then, so then he asked him, well, are you, a, are you a follower of Jesus? And the guy's like, no. He's like, well, have you, have you, read, have you read scripture have you read scripture before? Um, he's like, yeah, I mean, he, again, using questions, you just ask him a question. And sure enough, the guy's like, not really. I mean, one time, I, have you ever done this game? And you're like, all right, Lord, speak to me. And you're like, all right, I have no idea what this means. Well, the guy, I guess, did this once, and he opened up to, to Psalm 18. And he read Psalm 18, and he's like, I don't know what it means. And he asked the guy, do you know what it means? And sure enough, he's like, well, let's go look at it. And so he sat across the table, this divine appointment, a guy he's like, he said it was the easiest evangelism he's ever done. The guy literally sits there, he explains it to him, he tells him about Jesus, and the guy's like, I want to believe. He's like, oh, like, what do we do next? <laughs> he's like, well, we put our faith in Jesus, and he explains to him then. He's like, well, I think we should get baptized. And sure enough, I mean, it's literally like this Ethiopian eunuch story in a coffee shop. Just a random conversation, a random moment, but it wasn't so random because God was with you. And so here's the point of this last point is this, is God has given us everything we need to accomplish his mission. He's given us his word. He's given us himself. He's given us uh, opportunities. The spirit is going ahead of us. So when the opportunity's there, God's already at work. All we have to do is just step to the plate and hit the home run. We declare the gospel and it is not our job to save. God saves. So we just trust in him. This is the good news. What's awesome in that story, I'm not even really necessarily finishing it in Acts, but in Acts 9, sure enough, he's reading from Isaiah 53. If you know a little bit about your Bible, Isaiah 53 is the story of the Messiah. It's talking about Jesus, the suffering servant. It's describing by his, literally in the passage, by his wounds, we are healed so naturally, if you, if you had an opportunity and you're like, what does this mean? Who is this? He even asked this question. Who is this about? Is this about the prophet or someone else? And he's like, it's about someone else. It's about Jesus. It's about the Lamb of God who was slain so that you could be saved. And sure enough, here's a gospel opportunity laid on his lap, and he takes it. But, and then what are we to do? As the mission tells us, we go and make disciples, teaching them to observe. So naturally, you don't just, hey, all right, sweet, I'm glad. High five. All right, see you later. Maybe never meet this person again. No, you invest. You help them. You open up the scriptures. You explain it to them. Follow along with them. Encourage them. Help keep them accountable. Get, help them get connected to a local church, naturally. But ultimately, though, God has given us everything we need to accomplish His mission. So here's what I want you to, over the next few weeks, especially as we are transitioning um, to um, Second Year High School, and as we launch into this community here in, in Buford and in Gwinnett County, is this a couple things? I just want to I want to emphasize this. One is this. Um, I mean, feel free to write these down or just remember them. I'll be saying them over the next several weeks. Is this? I want you to focus on a few areas, and uh, this is not new to this is not something I've made up. I mean, I've uh, Tony Marita at, at their church year like a decade ago had put together this kind of strategy for their church, uh, and 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 he focused on these these specific areas. He said. Pay attention. Who are some people, and this is what I'm asking you to do, who are some people in your family network, maybe who are in your family who are far from the Lord that you could begin to invest in? Who are some people in your family who are in your vocational network, where you work? Who are in your like, business network, where you go and shop, where you go to restaurants, those kind of things? Who are, who are in your neighbor network? Who are the people right around you that live close to you? Who are the relational network people around you? Like the non-Christian friends, the people that you hang out with. So these kind of five areas, your family, your vocational, where you work, your business, where you spend your money, where you're going and interacting in the local community, your neighborhood, where the people right next to you, and your relational network, the non-Christian friends. I want you to be thinking right now and then moving forward about a couple people in each of those categories. And here's the four things that I want you to do with those things is this. And I want you to start. I mean, start today. Here's the four things. One is this pray for them. Pray for those people. Make a list. I mean, my wife's good at lists, she'll probably put a good list together. I know someone else in this room who will probably have an Excel spreadsheet at some point for this. And I think we all know who that is. Actually, there are probably a couple of you. Um, but be praying for them. Pray. I mean, and don't just like pray once, be praying consistently. Praying earnestly for them. Pray, give them over to the Lord. How can, and then here's another question to be asking and to start looking, how can you do this? How can you serve them? What are ways that you could serve? Maybe meet a need. Hey, could could we provide a meal for you? Hey, could we do this? Hey, like, hey, I'd love to help out in some way. How can you serve them? The other is this, like, how can you be inviting them? Like, give you the boldness to invite them to church if they're in this community. Invite them. Invite them specifically. You can say, hey, look, we're launching a church. We're excited about what God's been doing in our church, and we're, uh, we're really excited about where God has opened a door for us to meet at Second Year High School, and we're launching on October 16th. It is, it is really easy. We, I've already found this to be so easy to communicate Second Year High School right off of Hamilton Mill exit behind the Chick-fil-A. It's like, it's pretty simple. Just turn right on, that, on Sardis Church Road across from the Walmart light. I mean, it's pretty easy to communicate. It's right off the interstate but you're just, invite them, invite them to come with you. Like, hey, we'd love to have you join us for church. Another is this, ultimately, and this is the one that I think, sadly, many of us struggle with, is speak the gospel to them. Let God work. Let God work through that situation. Maybe, you know what, like, I don't know how to say this. I'm not sure. A lot of times, it goes through brokenness. Maybe there's something that's happened in their life. You've been praying for them and sure enough, they open up and you're having a conversation or you're sharing a meal with them and you're having them over to your house. You're serving them in some way. And in that, you've been praying for a while and all of a sudden that, man, you have that conversation and guess what? You can turn that conversation into a gospel conversation. A lot of times it's through brokenness and you're able to say, you know what helped me through my time of brokenness? What helped me? The Lord did. Can I just tell you about him and what he has done in my life? in what He can do for you. Share the gospel with them. Another, I mean, another, another option to you, I didn't, wasn't going to even add this, but like a lot of times we're a little nervous with that kind of stuff. Another is this is simple. is like, hey, is there a good resource? Maybe you hear something and maybe you know there's a really good gospel-centered book, a resource that you could give them. Give them gospel literature. Give, you know, I don't mean necessarily, you, don't, you can give them a track, but I don't even necessarily mean just give them someone a track. And here you go, read this, and you back away kind of thing. No, I mean, you can encourage them. Hey, I'd love to read this with you. And then maybe like if they do respond to the gospel, all right, well, that's awesome. Let me, then you can start talking to them about next steps, encouraging them. So these are some of the things that we're really excited about, but here's the ultimate call. We are to live on mission. It's not something that we can just avoid. We're called and commanded to go and make disciples of all nations. And I pray that we will be a people who lead the charge in this area. So let me pray.